And now on Tucson Business Radio, let's find out how to be healthy, wealthy, and wise with your host, Karen Fisher. Good afternoon on this blustery day in Tucson. I am Karen Fisher, your hostess of this month's broadcast of Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise. We are broadcasting remotely on Tucson Business Radio X as we're all dealing with the with the pandemic, with everything. Um, I have a very special guest with me today who has been a friend of mine for a number of years. She hails from the Georgia area, specifically just outside of Atlanta. And um, I wanna introduce to you Deborah Daniel, and she is the owner and chief executive officer, CEO, if you will, of Charter Accounting. She has been an accountant for a number of years, owns her own company, has lots of returns that she does. Welcome, Deborah. Karen, it's such a pleasure to be here. And it's so fun because we're, we, she goes by Deborah, by Deb, by Debbie, whatever the case may be, just as long as people call her. So um, <laughs> I, wanna, I wanna jump right into it because you've got a lot of information to share. Um, people, you know, and yes, it's almost the end of the year. So there's a lot of things that are happening that um, really are going to impact both the individual as well as small business owners. And so um, just tell me a little bit about, you know, I, I and we have your, uh, the information on the background, but tell me a little bit about what was your foray into becoming a CPA? You know, how did you start on your journey? And you do an amazing job of helping people with their money. Right, well, I will tell you, I, honestly, I say this a lot. Um, I'm an entrepreneur by mistake a little bit. Well, I wouldn't say by mistake. I finished my MBA right like early nineties. I got married right about the same time. I got recruited away from an awesome job to work for a fortune 100 company. And I thought, okay, this is awesome. I'm one of six analysts, fortune 100 company. This is great. You know, mid twenties. Um, but the thing is, it was I'm the kind of person you can bore, you can work me to death, but don't bore me to death. So we were like super busy for one week of the month doing this big stockholder report that we did as part of being one of the Fortune 100. And, um, but then the other three weeks, unless we were buying a company and had to fly out wherever to, and I did a lot of due diligence trips, we were kind of sitting around. Now we're, let's not dial it back. That's not today when you've got Google and Netflix on your computer and all these, there was no internet in 1992. So okay, there you, go, yeah. you were pretty much sitting in your office, like memorizing the employee handbook, you know, and I'm like, okay, this is not for me. Right. So I, always had entrepreneurial tendencies. My dad had always wanted to be an entrepreneur. He, he desperately wanted to be an entrepreneur, but my mother discouraged it. It wasn't stable enough. It was, you know, too risky, you know, just, I mean, I don't mean that in a bad way, but she just wasn't ready. I mean, you have the entrepreneurial lifestyle is the lifestyle. It's not just a job, right? You have to, I call us, we're the hunter gatherers. We have to go out and kill the woolly mammoth and come back and somebody back in the, you know, back at the cave is, you know, producing it and, you know, chopping it up and cooking it for us. But you have to be a hunter gatherer if you're going to be an entrepreneur. So I knew that I was interested in that early on. I didn't think I was going to do it in my mid twenties, but it just happened a little bit faster than I expected it to. So I um, 
had been trained. Honestly, we were newly married. We looked at several different businesses. We were only in our twenties. We didn't have a ton of capital. We didn't have a quarter of a million dollars to buy, you know, McDonald's back then. I don't even know what it costs now. Um, we looked at several franchises, but we didn't have a ton of capital, but I was a CPA. And so it was actually my husband that said, Hey, why don't you do what you've been trained to do? And I'm like, Oh, okay. I guess I could do that. And so I literally opened up an office in a retail shopping center, income tax and started doing income taxes seriously and so and and were you in georgia at the time that was in georgia yes i've been in georgia my whole really adult life um my dad's family is from connecticut and so we lived there till i was about 10 but then i've been in georgia for you know about about four decades let's not say the whole how many decades a while um and so we um so we did that. I did a lot of little easy walk-in kind of returns. And then April 15th comes and I literally had nothing to do because, you know, I didn't have a thriving business like I do now. So I didn't have extensions and bookkeeping and payroll and financial advising. I mean, all the other money stuff that I do now. So that's when literally, I mean, and this is looking back at so much braver than I would have. I mean, it didn't seem brave at the time. I mean, it just didn't occur to me that it wouldn't work. Right. Um, I, uh, we started looking and we bought a small practice that was doing only, you know, like $50,000 in annual billing. And at the time, that's how these practices were sold based on annual revenue. You, and, but they didn't have all these great little loans that you could get hundred percent financing and stuff like that. We literally had to borrow money from our, both of our dad's 401ks to have the down payment. And then I just paid the guy, you know, I don't remember like $2,000 a month until I paid him off. And then a year later, we bought another practice. And basically in the first five years, we bought a few practices. I mean, there's oh, how, two, really, so how many two ways to grow a business really? I mean, you could either do it from scratch and spend a ton on marketing, or I thought it was better and just my way. And it seemed to work to buy the volume and I felt like that was important for me a little bit because in my mid twenties, I looked like I was about 15, you know, and I, here I am, you know, consulting with people like us, you know, a little more mature, a little more seasoned, <laughs> yeah. you know, seasoned. we'll say seasoned. There you go. Seasoned. That sounds better. Right. And so, I, I, but you know, you didn't want to be like, Hey, will you be my first client? You know, kind of thing. So it just worked out for us. But the reality is I didn't contribute a penny to our family's, um, you know, really monthly income for the first five years because I was basically paying the loans for buying those businesses. But then Mm -hmm. once you get past that, I mean, because I'm, I'm, I talk a lot about leverage. I mean, because leverage is, I mean, if we didn't use leverage, I mean, you wouldn't have a, I mean, you know, nobody would buy a house and they wouldn't be getting it. Yeah, exactly. Um, But we'd all be living in little caves because we couldn't afford the houses that we have. But I mean, leverage in that perspective is very, very powerful. When you could take money, borrow someone else's money and you create a revenue stream. Maybe it's a rental property. Maybe it's so that you can buy an investment that you need to. Maybe it's to buy a business. That's powerful leverage. My pro- What I see, and I saw a lot come up during COVID because everybody, I, I really feel like the P and CPA is feeling like psychologists this year <laughs> because everybody's money issues are bubbling up like crazy. Yes. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, it's because it's so, I mean, some people haven't had income in nine months. I mean, gosh, I mean, how are the, how are they not bubbling up? And so, I mean, what bothers me is COVID is going to happen or 2008 is going to happen. I mean, you've been in business for a long time or 2001 tech bubble or the Y2K, you know, catastrophe that was supposed to happen or, or 9-11. You've got to have your act together, whatever happens in those things. I mean, t- COVID is the current crisis, but I'm kind of feeling a little like we need to be Darwinian business owners a little bit, like survival of the fittest. You've got to be ready mm-hmm. for whatever comes down the pipeline, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and that's one of the main, is the money side. 
yeah. people don't get the money side of their business. You know, they're focusing on the next LinkedIn strategy or the next Facebook strategy or the next, you know, let me buy this program or that program or whatever. And they're building their business without even understanding the money side of it. I mean, they haven't even done the math to figure out how many of this do I need to sell to get to my baseline? How many of this do I need to sell to get to this revenue of profit? What should I be even pricing? Am I even making money? That's what I've seen over the past three decades is people are flying by the seat of their pants. I mean, yeah, they definitely are. And then, you know, um, and hence the whole thing as far as the show itself of healthy, wealthy, and wise, mm -hmm. um, the, the, the definitely, you know, if you think about it from the money standpoint, all three healthy, wealthy, and wise go into it. So let's talk about some of those things because there are things that the wealthy people do that some other people don't do. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I see, because as a loan officer, I see everything and I ask the questions that your mother told you that you're not allowed to ask. Like, not only do you have to tell me how much is in your bank account, you have to tell me what your income is. Oh, and your date of birth. And oh, by the way, you have to prove it to me, not once, not twice, but with trig rules, three separate independent times. So think about that. So I see things that, you know, you can start out at the same uh, top line, if you will, and, and I see a lot of things with my entrepreneurs. Uh, one of the issues that, um, and, and I know you can speak to this, one of the things that makes me crazy, they say, my accountant is so great, they write off everything. I'm sorry, that's not necessarily a good thing because if you're, you know, profit is not a bad thing. It's okay to make a profit. And let, so let's talk about some of those things. Exactly, exactly. I mean, the thing is, I want to make a profit. I want to pay taxes. I just don't want to pay more than I'm supposed to, right? Absolutely. I, I agree. Yeah. But the thing is, business is about money. I mean, if you're not in it to make money, what is really the point? And yes. if you're trying to get a loan, it's not going to work when you're showing losses or you're showing $10,000. And honestly, you know, it, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, to me, if your business is not making as much as you can make sitting in a, a desk and letting somebody else do the hunter gathering, what is really the point? It, exactly. Well, and that's the other thing. And there's one other piece about the business is that if you are not allowing your money, if you're not showing a profit and um, then you need to analyze some things that are in there, we're going to do a deep dive into what some of those things that you should be looking at. Mm -hmm. But one of the other things that people forget is that it absolutely impacts their social security. Because exactly. of the look back as far as that, you know, and I remember talking to a financial advisor whose client prior to retirement was, I mean, they were 750,000 a year plus, but they quote, wrote everything off. I mean, they pushed it to the limit. And then he was all upset as far as like, why am I getting, and I'm not using the exact numbers, so I didn't see the return, but why am I only getting $450 a month in social security? I can't live on that. Well, you wrote everything off. You didn't pay into Social Security, so you don't get to take anything back. So, exactly. so with your your expertise, so one of the things that happens sometimes people that, and this is something that is the antithesis of you, some people who are accountants and CPAs are very dry, and and, and they they just they just count the numbers and they really are not they're not how do I want to say um, they're, aggressive they're, maybe. Or, well, or I, innovative. <laughs> I think I think that they tend to be um, really, um, for lack of a better term, maybe um, shy, a little bit like reserved and shy. They're not out there as far as talking with people, but you've got a very unique gift 
that you actually are really comfortable about talking to people about money. So let's talk about the things that you, let's talk about, first of all, make more money. Where do we start with that? Where do we start with your expertise as an accountant and a CPA and somebody who has their MBA? Where do people start as far as to make more money? Because their initial thing is sell more, but that's not necessarily the first thing. Exactly. Well, I think the make more starts out, first of all, I mean, to me, business is super, super simple. It's just not easy to do all the things you need to do, right? It's simple. You got something that people need, people are interested in, and they have the money to buy. That's, that's the biggest thing right there. And, and, you know, I'm a lot, I mean, I have clients, all kinds of clients, but where my heart is, is for women business owners. And I especially see this among women that they want to serve their clients. Well, you're not going to stay in business if you don't serve your clients, right? But you're not going to be able to serve anybody if you can't profitably do it and keep your lights on, right? I mean, that's exactly the case. More really comes down to, again, making sure that people want what you have, that you can provide it you know, at a price that they can afford and they have the money to pay for it. So then it really becomes about having, it really comes down to what are you spending your time on? And yes, it is make more sales, but do the activities that make more sales. You know, it's doing the right revenue generating activities. It's not sitting there for two hours and making your own banner for your website. It's not, you know, um, you know, copying the stuff for yourself when you can pay a $15 an hour person to do it. It's you doing the right activities at the right time is a lot of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the, uh, my favorite quotes is from Mike Krieger, um, who talks about, and that was founder of Instagram says, focus on doing the right things instead of a bunch of things. Exactly. So, so it's easy to fall into the whole, like, um, you know, make a list, check off the list. I mean, I, I, I've even been a, I've even been guilty, been guilty of this before where I did something that wasn't on my list and I wrote it down the list so I could cross it off. I mean, oh, well, not I, about just checking it off the list, right? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That makes you feel like you're getting something done. It's really do the important things first. I mean, I, I don't remember who said this, but I often, I have to tell myself to do this because it's so easy to do. Let me just do this email or let me just do this little easy thing. But it really comes down to do doing the important things first. Eat the frog, you know, do the rep, I mean, if you, and I call it, one thing I tell clients is chase the big check. If you've got 10 different things that you can work on and one's going to pay you $10,000 and one's going to pay you $6,000 and one's going to pay you $10, don't waste your time on the $10 one, you know, go after the $10,000 one first. I mean, let's not forget about the $10 one, but chase the big check. I mean, and I think we spend that's a lot a, of our time yeah. okay. doing the minutia instead of the stuff that's really, but that comes back to, again, you know, the numbers and you, if you don't know the numbers in your business, you don't know which part is profitable. I mean, it's hard to be chasing the right big check, right? Because most people don't even understand their cost structure enough because they're not, I mean, I am literally helping clients right now catch up 12 months of their books. I mean, I've, I've just said, look, we're not doing your books during tax season. Like it happens all the time. They want to dump it off in our busiest month of the year, you know, February, March, and April, when we need to be focusing on tax returns. I'm like, get me your stuff. But a lot of these people have not touched their stuff or looked at their numbers, not because we haven't been begging them to look at them, but they just want to kick the can. And really, if we're looking at the data right now, it's it's old news. I mean, it's it, who cares what happened in January last year? That's that's un, that's 12 months ago. That's meaningless information. But if you're looking at it as you go, you're going to see, oh my gosh, I'm pricing something at $100, but it's really costing me $110. It's too late to know that now. But so if you don't what, have the numbers, how can you do that? So um, in terms of, uh, because there are some people that are just, I mean, they, for whatever reason, they absolutely hate doing their books. 
So what are some of the, when you, when somebody hates doing their books and so then they don't have the data, they don't have the information and they don't have the resources, what's the first thing that they should be looking at? Well, to me, the first, I mean, one, I don't think most business owners should be doing their own books because it's Perfect. not a revenue generating okay. activity. It's something like, I right, mean, right. Let's, I, let's repeat that. I want my listeners to hear that loud and clear. <laughs> Say they, it again. They, most business owners should not be doing their own books. It's not a revenue generating activity. And it's something that you literally can outsource for so cheap. I mean, I outsource everything. I don't even do my own laundry. I have someone come and do my laundry because I look at what my hourly rate is versus what I could pay them to do it. And it's like, this is crazy. I mean, it's one thing if you don't, if you have capacity and you have extra time, but I know it's this year, I feel like I've been busier than ever, you know? So, but bookkeeping for most businesses is not, a good use of your time. Now, if you have a lot of invoicing, I mean, and I'm not saying that part, like, you know, charging your customers, doing an invoice, collecting the money, that's probably best done in-house. But as far as like reconciling the bank statement, looking at the numbers, you know, and you're not even going to know what they are most of the time. So why not have someone at least look at them quarterly so that you can get some trends or what, I mean, like right now, the past month, all I've been doing is calculating tax estimates for people. Like, where are we? What should I do? You know, you don't know that you need to go find an investment to do before the end of the year if you're not looking at it until February. That's where I think a lot of people make a mistake is they think that February, March, and April of 2021 is when they should be worrying about their 2020 taxes. Literally, that's done. I mean, we have three days, three or four days left. It's too late mm -hmm. almost to do anything um, for this year. There's a few things we can do, a few little maneuvers we can do up until about January 15th. But past that, once we've issued W-2s and we've configured people's compensation for the year, you know, we're pretty much, we're just filling out historical facts, right? Mm -hmm. So January, February, March, we should be getting ourselves set up for 2021. I mean, it should okay, just so be a matter of- Okay, so let's talk about some of those basic things. What are some of the things? So number one, get somebody that's helping you with the books, but you've got to understand your books because people, I've also seen people that uh, were not of good character um, manipulating and getting involved in the other people's books. I've seen that. I, I right, can, right, right. I, I mean, of course you, I mean, trust is, I mean, that's just without, I mean, question. Yeah. I had an, I had a client, I mean, I had a new client call me today. Actually, she saw me speak, gosh, probably two years ago. And she's like, I've been wanting to get you to do my stuff, but then I always got busy and it was just easier just to give it to my old person. So I was going to contact you now before we got to next year. But she was saying, the big thing is, is I really have to trust who's giving me my, um, who's taking care of my, my money and my numbers. You know, you deal with people's social security numbers. We have yeah, your birthday. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. we could, I mean, literally we could, uh, we could duplicate anybody's identity we've ever really worked on. I mean, obviously we're not doing that or we wouldn't be in business, but we have all that information. Yes. So you have to be able, they, whoever works with your money or is getting that information, you have to trust without question. Um, and those are, you know, it, it, it becomes, you can't, someone that's untrustworthy doesn't stay in business for very long because it gets out pretty fast. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's for sure. But I, there's another piece of it. I say, I, I say to people, you need to inspect what you expect. So you you need to understand some of the basics of the numbers. So right. you're not doing the actual data and things like that, but as a business owner, what are some of the key things that you say as a business owner, you need to be able to look at this, 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 and this to understand what's going on. Oh, right, right. Well, I mean, to me, I mean, this is something you can't abdicate. I mean, almost you need to um, look at your cash every day. I mean, just like where, where are the numbers? I like to see what customer payments have come in. I don't worry about expenses that much just because, I mean, to me, 
I have a service-based business, so I don't have a ton of expenses. You know, I mean, rent's my biggest expense and I own my building, so I'm paying that to myself. (laughs) But um, so I don't look at my expenses too, too closely. Um, but I'm always looking at what is what customer deposits came in, what needs to be billed if it hasn't been billed. To me, I, I really like to focus on what is my average, you know, like sale, um, because then you know, okay, this makes sense for me to, when you're purchasing something, if it's going to be, okay, it takes two clients for me to make that back, that's an easy decision to make. But if you, if your average sale is $5 and it takes 5,000 of those to get back that, that purchase, you know, you have to know those things, you know, um, I think that's really important. I think knowing your pipeline, like what's in, you know, what you have that's potentially for sale. I mean, I gamify a lot of things in my business. Um, and this is probably not from the accounting side. This is just as owning a business for 30 years. You don't, when we signed up to be in business for ourselves, we don't really realize how by ourselves that really is a lot of the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, there's no one giving you a performance review. I mean, other than your checkbook, if you're making money, I guess that's a performance review, but um, there's no one like holding your feet to the fire. So I gamify almost everything. I have um, a spreadsheet that goes back probably about 15 years, but um, that shows not the dollar amount per day, but how many tax returns during tax season we as a as a team finish. And so I'm seeing that cumulative and it's compared to last year and maybe two or three years. I don't go back to the whole 15 years, but I try to look, how are we? And so like, if we're falling behind, I'm out there like team, we're behind, you know, but how else are you going to judge yourself if you don't have some kind of internal controls of what's going on? Well, maybe that's dollars of sales. Maybe that's number of returns. Maybe that's number of customers that came in. I have a client that owns 12 supercuts. I mean, maybe it's number of people, you know, whose hair you cut this, this week or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, those are the kind of things you want to be paying attention to. Absolutely. Well, and I, I agree with that. And, and I think to understand, you know, from, you know, and let's say you have a retail business, you have to understand what your cost of goods that you've sold, you know, understand what that number is. Right. If you have a service-based business, like you said, you've got to do something that works for you. So in yours is how many tax returns have you done? For me, it's, you know, how many loans did I originate? You right. know, because the, the initial... And, and then I take it another step further because the origination piece of it is when something absolutely closes, but there's a lot, you know, I got a reverse engineer to understand how many people, how many inquiries I get before somebody actually goes through and Right, that's your close loan. ratio. I mean, you need exactly. to understand what your they close ratio is. is. Yeah. And I did exactly that. And I've been doing that with clients. I just did mine this week where I figured out this is my revenue for the year. And I figured this is how many personal returns I'm going to do with an average of this. This is how many corporate returns I'm planning to do with an average. This is how many group coaching I'm going to do. This is how many private coaching. This is how many financial plans I'm going to do. And I kind of, you know, figured out that number and this is my total. Well, now if I know I want to do X number of group coaching clients, clients, then I know that my close ratio is, you know, pretty high. Actually, it's probably about 60 or 70%. Um, How many people do I need to talk to, to fill up those groups? If I want each group to be eight, how many, you know, then you back into the activities that it takes to do that. Most people are just throwing spaghetti at the wall and hoping that it's going to, Oh yes. That it's going to work. Right. Absolutely. Yes. So, um, so this is, this is huge. So in, in terms of things, and this is really important for our listeners to understand uh, and I also want to let them hear, because here you are as a CPA in your business, and some people get stuck that that's all that they can do. Mm-hmm. But you have other business, your other revenue 
um, streams, if you will, because you just mentioned as far as the coaching. So talk about your group coaching. What are some of the things that, what is it that you're doing? Because you're talking about making more money and now we're going to talk about keeping more money. Tell me more about that. Right, right. Well, in the, the group coaching is a little bit more in the make more money category because I'm helping them with their, you know, figuring out their revenue plans and stuff like that. And it's a little bit of accountability. Um, and some of it is, I kind of, it's almost like a baby MBA in the box a little times because it's kind of like money. There's no mechanism in our, in our educational system for people to know about money, even though it's the most important thing. I mean, not the most important thing in life, but it, it impacts everything that's important in your life. Yes. I mean, mm -hmm. Less than 4% of the high schools in the country have any financial literacy whatsoever. And I listened, my daughter, thankfully, and son went to a school that is one of that 4%, but I even listened to the class. And I mean, they talked a lot about finding, about, you know, student loans and a little bit about credit. And I mean, still, it, it was, it was very rudimentary. It was not really, you know, um, the stuff that they need to know. It's the same thing about business. I mean, most people that are in business didn't have a formal business education. And I would even say that even a formal business education, it, and I think this is true of the money too, I'm probably one of the most financially educated persons, people that you're going to meet. I have an MBA, an undergrad in, in business and finance, MBA in finance. I'm a CPA. I do over, you know, we have to do 80 hours of continuing education every two years. I have, I've had my securities licenses. I don't do that because I'm not selling individual securities anymore. I have insurance licenses. I am, I mean, I spend the last month of every year doing continuing education. That's how much financial, but I don't feel like most of that really is the important stuff even. I mean, mm -hmm. we're not, I mean, that, the stuff that you have to really know, you have to go digging for it and you almost need someone to hold your hand. That makes sense for you. And that's what happens a lot in the, in the, in the group coaching is we do a little bit of group think and, you know, somebody has an issue. This is my biggest thing. I let the other people kind of weigh in on it. And then I kind of take the 10,000 foot view and say, for you, that doesn't really work. You're a retail business that won't work. You know, kind of like when you're in a labyrinth and you hit the wall, all you can see is right or left. But yes. as there is kind of, I've been doing this for three decades and seeing pretty much everything. I'm taking that 10,000 foot view and saying, okay, you can only see right or left, but I see that if you go right, you can also take a left, 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 and you're going to be out. You see what I'm saying? kind of you almost need someone to hold your hand been there done that and there's a lot of people out there saying that they're business coaches or financial coaches that don't have what I call the chops they they say it but they haven't done it you they know what haven't I mean? done it yeah I mean that's like having an MBA and never having been a business owner you know I mean well, it, and, and it, it happens all the time and we see that and it does definitely happen all the time so um, so um, I just want to just uh, interject as far as my listeners that you are listening to Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise. I am your hostess, Karen Fisher, and we've got Deborah Daniel, who joins us from the Atlanta, Georgia area, although it's technically, how do you say it? Is it Alpharetta? Is that how they say it? Yeah, my, I live in a suburb. I, my office is in a little suburb called Alpharetta, and then right next to it, there's another little suburb called Roswell, is where, oh, is where I live. Yeah. <laughs> so it's all, all different, you know, here we are as far as within Tucson. But well, we say Atlanta because um, people know that. <laughs> okay, we'll say Atlanta, yeah, or Hotlanta, that's what they used to uh, say. So, so let's let's just dive into so as far as some of the other things that are there. So when when people are starting within business, so this is the one thing that I'm seeing that's coming out of COVID. There are people that had jobs that are now they've been thrown into becoming an entrepreneur because they got to put food on the table. Exactly. And so they do have some things. It's been a blessing for some people. It's been a curse. But they and, and there's a lot of people that are really hurting. And so this is 
I want to let our listeners know that please forward this information because there is help that's out there. There is help that's out there. I, I think when people, what I see some people right now, I see some people that are just, they're really scared. They're really, really scared. This How is, could they not be? I they, mean, this has been a scary for their year. Health, they're scared for their families. They're scared. You know, there's a lot of things. So, but the piece with fear is, and um, you've heard different acronyms for fear. You've saying, you know, um, uh, false evidence appearing real. Well, I don't think that this is false evidence. We definitely have a pandemic. We definitely have people that are out of work. So that's, that's a true fear. But the other thing is I like the acronym of face everything and rise. So yeah. let's talk about facing everything and rise. You're, you, so with you having been in business for nearly 30 years, what are a couple of key things that you wish you had? Now you have the education. What are a couple of key things that you wish you had known when you started? Like if I had known this, this would have. Well, you know, I, I think I did not learn the value of relationships early enough as early on. I probably, I did not even get involved with business networking until probably the last, 12 or 13 years. And I was in business, you know, what, 20, almost 20 years before that. I mean, head down, doing my little thing. Um, I didn't realize how you can exponentially grow your business and, and your life through, through relationships. And it actually became part of, I mean, it's grown into what I call a little bit of hierarchy of wealth a little bit. To me, money wealth is so important, but it's the lowest vibrational wealth. We obviously have to have, it's kind of like the Maslow's hierarchy of needs a little bit to me. Mm -hmm. um, you have to have the, the money to, go, to move on up. But I think the next level is relationship wealth, where you have all these contacts that you can call and you can refer back and forth. Now, I don't think, I think people get confused about that sometimes. They think, well, I referred Karen five people and she only referred me one. I think there is like a I mean, I don't want to get woo-woo here, but there's it's like okay a to get woo-woo. We call it uh, woo-la. <laughs> the there's like a cosmic bank account out there yeah. somewhere, right? And you're, if I'm referring five people to you, you may not send five people to me, but the cosmos somehow knows that there's a, there's a credit out there for me and I'm going to get a referral or client somewhere else because of that deposit I made into the bucket for you. You see what I'm saying? It's not yeah, a one-to-one -one totally. relationship. And I think that the more evolved you become on understanding how important your relationships are, I often say your network equals your net worth. I mean, that is really, it's so much easier when you have a tribe, you know, that you can have people to refer to, or they're referring to you. I, I wish I'd known how important that was early on, not just being the best at what you do or your price or whatever it really comes down to like right now i have a list of probably 30 people i've talked to in the past month that are going to be new clients for me that all came from either i spoke somewhere or somebody referred them i mean that's you can't even pay for that you can't even yes quantify yes. how much that's worth right well, i just wish well, i really you, would have you known probably the could quantify because you did it at the beginning by buying a business if you want right, well, that's true, that's true. <laughs> yeah. but i mean i but, really i wish i would have known more about how important the um the business just per, and, and oh, not only that and, and i mean there's so much more to that than just the more money that you get it really enrich you just don't realize when you're just sitting in your office doing your thing all the time you miss out on so much enriching in your life in in general i yeah. i have someone that several people quote me but i say everything i do has to have an roi return on investment but that return on investment doesn't have to be monetary to me 
my, my four pillars are if it brings me more money or more business, if it increases relationships, whether personal or business, if it buys me more time, like paying somebody to do my laundry so that I could do more work. Or I added recently, because I don't know if you remember, Karen, I've lost about 60 pounds over the past 18 months. And I've actually most of it before COVID. I feel amazing. Um, if it buys me more health, that to me is an ROI. So anything that I do really needs to fit into one of those four so let's talk about those four again. So the ROI is it brings me more money. The second one is, does it bring me more relationships? Relationships. Relationships. Personal or business. Um, the third, does it grow my business? No, no just, more time. Does it buy more me time? More time. Just my time. The laundry. You know, the, the reality is I can make more money, but I'm like everybody else. I only have 24 hours in a day. Yeah, I mean, more, I don't more care time. if you're Millionaire, you only get Yeah, <laughs> and then the, uh, the fourth one being health, because the reality is there's a huge correlation between your health and your wealth. It, there just is. I mean, because I didn't realize how much I was forcing the energy to do all the things that I was doing until I felt better. I, I didn't realize how much effort and how much now easy. I mean, I am making more money because I feel better. It's 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 uh, it's reality okay. check. Yeah. Well, see, and that's the thing. Again, all dovetailing right into healthy, wealthy, and wise. I mean, exactly. That's so totally on board with that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, um, and then along with that, um, and part of that wisdom piece of it, tell me about as far as the, you've got both the literacy and the confidence as far as that. So, so people go, um, you know, when you're starting to unravel your personal money story and making sure that your money story serves you, because what I find with people with credit and also with their money, they uh, tend to follow what their parents do, which was either, uh, and it could be a horrible warning or it can be an inspiration. Mm -hmm. um, and so sometimes people are copying really poor habits that they had learned from oh, exactly. their family members. And their money story, and this is there's all kinds of research on this. It's kind of like you know, you tell you want to expose a child to a foreign language pre-kindergarten and they and they and they are much better at it further in life when they don't mm -hmm. hear it. Your money story is ingrained in your psyche in that first those formative years of your life. I mean, if you were hearing there's never enough money, rich people are bad, blah blah. It doesn't even matter if you become a billionaire down the way. You've got to work on your money story because you still, that's what, that's, that was the, the um, story that was, that was ingrained in you, mm -hmm. right? And it does, it does really make an impact. And that's why sometimes, you know, we say, I mean, that's why wealthy people have wealthier children, not because maybe that they give them money, but because they instill in them the abundance attitude that they have, they instill in them their money story a little bit more. And I think it has a huge impact. I mean, I see it happening all the time. Why do you think some people that have exactly the same skill set, one is super successful versus the other one? It's, it's, it goes down to mindset and that's a lot of your money story. I, I, I could not agree with you more. And everybody's got their own money story and, and some of it serves us and some of it doesn't. And it also, um, you know, it comes in and out as far as that is the information. Um, so right now with um, just thinking about what's happening with your clients over this past year in particular and things like that. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you see people making right now? Like, what do you see that they're really like, oof, that was not good. <laughs> well, I will tell you, I see people all the time, um, COVID, no COVID. I see them poaching into their retirement accounts a lot and they don't realize there's two bad things about that. 
Um, one, it's super expensive. I mean, because you're going to pay a temp, if you're under 59 and a half, you're paying a 10% penalty, you're paying federal income tax, let's say average 25%, and you're paying 6%, well, in Georgia at 6%, it's different around the state. So you're almost, if you want a hundred dollars, you've got to take out $150 or, I mean, I don't know, I'm not doing the math real quick in my head. It's a super, super expensive way to get your hands on money. And people are taking them out for the dumbest things. I mean, you know, it, don't use your retirement to, to finance your lifestyle, right? Um, so you've you've cost yourself a ton and you've actually impeded your revenue down the way. Because if you take out 50000 or $25,000 or $100,000 today in your 30s, 40s, 50s, you're not going to have a couple hundred thousand dollars when you're 70, right? That's mm -hmm. a big mistake that people make. I think people... Um, it, it comes, I think they're not wise about the debt that they're doing. I love debt if it's going to create revenue for you, or it's going it, to, I mean, like I own my building that, that my office is in. Um, I, I just paid it off actually a year ago. I've had it for 21 years. Um, that's good debt. Buying a Louis Vuitton purse that you can't afford and you're going to pay on a credit card for, you know, eight, you know, by the time you're finished with it twice as much, that's not good debt. I, and I don't think people have enough of an emergency fund. I used to tell people three to six months. I mean, come on, some people haven't been able to make revenue for nine months. I mean, you know, I don't, so I don't what, know what, do what that number is anymore. What do you think it should do for creating that cash cushion right now? What do you think it should be? Do you think it should be a year? What, do you, what are you thinking? Or who knows right now? I mean, it's really hard to know. I mean, to me, it just depends on everybody's circumstances. I think you've got to make sure that you have a cushion. And that cushion is changing, I think, because... But not so much if we, go, I mean, we talked a little bit about multiple streams of revenue. I think that's where you, you mitigate your risks a little bit. Mm -hmm. If you have multiple streams of revenue, maybe you don't need as much of a cushion, but if you have one source of revenue, you need a bigger cushion, right? I mean, like, I, have, I think that's why I have, I have revenue coming. I mean, they're all pretty much money related. I'm not trying to sell my clients coffee or whatever, cause that wouldn't make sense. But, um, you know, I have several different streams of revenue. Now, what are the chances that all of them are going to go to, you know, hell in a handbasket, you know, not too good, not but likely, if you only yeah. have one thing, you need to have a bigger cushion. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think that for people to have, you know, right now to have that, that six months to a year, um, and especially if you own investment properties, because now the agencies, uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, are, they're looking, they want to see that you've got, because you've got some people, like, let's say you own investment properties, and that's been a big piece of your revenue. Well, there's certain states that now that there's a moratorium on um, evictions. And so the tenants aren't, and, and they, they, they're not paying and yet you still owe your mortgage. Exactly. And, so and that is a real issue. And I mean, and, and uh, you know, I, I don't have any personal re residential properties right now, but I have in the past, but the reality is most people that, I, you know, you do the financing for them. Most people that have, are not, you know, daddy Warbucks with a, you know, a whole bunch of rental properties paid for. Most people are paying a mortgage for, again, using that leverage to create a revenue stream. I personally have a problem with, someone being forced to pay for somebody else to live. I mean, I, yeah. I feel bad for the, I feel bad for the person who is going to be evicted, but is it fair for you to ask me or my client that is, has a mortgage to pay for that person to live? That's not right. I mean, yeah, I, I, you, you, I, I totally agree because it's and it's very, very complicated. As far it as is. It's complicated because somebody's going to lose here. I mean, yes, somebody has absolutely. to lose. And if it's not the tenant who can't pay the rent and that you can't collect from them, then what if, then what if the person loses then, the investment Then what happens to the, the, the owner of the property? What happens to the mortgage company doesn't have the revenues? And oh, by the way, 
what happens to the investors, which are Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, FHA, or VA. Exactly. So because you because can a have lot of, a, a lot of rental properties. properties are not owned by big corporate organizations. Yes. I have a lot Most of clients of them, yeah. that have one or two re rental properties. And if they yeah. don't get paid rent for one, two, three, four months, they're going to lose that property. Yes, exactly. I, that, you know, they can, it can definitely. And, and the other piece that I said, one of the things that I find with people, and it's funny that you're talking about reconciling your bank accounts. You know, my clients do not reconcile their bank accounts. <laughs> I'm not surprised. I get they don't. Not, I wouldn't say 90%. A lot of clients bring in their, their paperwork for their tax return and they haven't even opened up their investment statements or opened up their W-2 or, I mean, I'm like, you know, people make mistakes on this kind of stuff. Yes, they do. Yes, they Look do. At it. And so there's a saying that I like to say is as far as for people is called unconscious consumerism. Uh -huh. How many, um, and so um, a good tip that somebody can be doing right now, if they've got any downtime, is look at all of your, both your credit card and your checking account statements and see what is on auto pay and play a game as far as what can you eliminate. Here, and that is so, so valuable when I'm working on with people on personal finance. And even if I'm doing business coaching for them too, because a lot of times they're like, I can't afford the coaching. Well, honestly, the first thing I tell people to do, go get your last three to six months bank statements and credit card statements. And I have people consistently finding 200 to $1,000 a month of charges. Of an auto I watch my do. stuff closely and I was actually mm -hmm. paying for two two fitness clubs for a little while because I was, I thought we'd canceled one before we did the other. I mean, and I watch my stuff pretty closely. So people that are ignoring good knows, you know, who knows what's being yeah. on their statements. Well, and that, that's a good point. And it's like, um, in fact, it's on my to-do list to cancel our gym membership because we're not physically going to the gym right now. And, um, and yet, you know, it was on there. So we're, we're, I mean, for a while there, there was a hiatus, but now we're just, we're just going to uh, cancel it because we can re-up in the future uh, right. when the gyms are open and stuff like that. But um, the other I think thing- business owners especially need to be careful of that because you end up having all these subscriptions to things and then you start looking and some of them are overlapping. I mean, at one point I had like three different CRMs and I was only using one of them, but then I didn't want to get rid of the one because I had my day, you know, did I move all my data over? So I was like, um, but you could really, I mean, those kind of things really add up if you're not paying yeah, attention. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, so, and, and, you know, one thing is that it's, it's really funny when I use the word accountant or I use the word CPA, I'll have people say they automatically come back with a he. So you are a woman in the financial industry, just as I am, you know, um, in the mortgage world, the majority of the people that work in the mortgage industry are women, but they're not necessarily the loan originators. They're not necessarily the people structuring the loans. They're, they are doing the clerical work of putting the loans together. So what do you, what, this is always just fun because you and I've known each other for a long time. What, what are your thoughts as far as what has changed yeah, for women in, uh, on the financial side of things. Right. A lot has changed. It, I mean, we are in a predominantly, it's still a predominantly male field. I mean, mm -hmm. the field of finance. I mean, you're right. People do think he, you know, I do also investments in insurance product mm -hmm. sales. I've consistently been, whatever broker I've been with, one of the top producers, you know, top 100 in the country for the past five or six years. Well, part of it is your energy is infectious. Plus you care about your clients. Exactly. And I, I, I honestly yeah. don't even know which thing pays me more. I always just like, if I find enough solutions for clients, it's going it, to, the transactions are going to take care of themselves because some things do pay different. And there are people that will push the thing that pays them more. I don't even pay attention to that. But my point about that is when I go still women are the minority in the room. 
it, it, it's it's not because they're not the best producers they're just still less in the industry right mm-hmm. um it is it, it is funny i think it's better on the entrepreneurial side i mean i think women have a better shake at at meeting their full potential in entrepreneurship anyway because they're I, if there is a proverbial, and I'm, I'm sure there is in corporate, I haven't been in corporate, you know, for 30 years, but uh-huh. um, there's not a glass ceiling in entrepreneurship. I, I don't think I charge my clients what I want to charge them. They pay if they want to pay it. It's not set by the corporate thing. And, and Joe is getting paid a hundred dollars and I'm only getting paid $70, you know, 30 cents less. Mm-hmm. I mean, I charge what I charge. It doesn't matter. My clients don't look at me. Oh, this is a woman's CPA. I got to pay them 70 cents on the dollar. Um, so I think that's a real, that's, we've had to that's do you. that. And there yeah. are more women self-employed, I think, than in corporate because in, in the financial field because of that. That, that that piece is huge, and I'm just was uh, pulling up some information right now, which I think is interesting. This, um, as far as what has happened, is that um, what I um, so this is some information that has come. You know, you can research as far as the information. The bottom line is, is that they are saying that the next growth, the next big wave of finances, is actually going to be coming from uh, women that are owned. So this is an interesting statistic. It says by 2030, so that sounds like a long time from now. Um, girlfriend, it's nine years from a week from now, okay? <laughs> so exactly. nine years exactly. from now, American women are expected to control as much as 30 trillion in financial assets as far as the baby boomers. So, and women being the new face of wealth, but they're still getting that message. And this talks about that money message and the math message of girls aren't good at math. Like it's just drives me absolutely exactly. crazy. And it still permeates us. It still permeates yes. us. I mean, as a matter of fact, my daughter is a senior in high school. She's just gotten early acceptance at, at several colleges, a bunch of um, scholarship opportunities. And sometimes it, she has like a 4.0 made a, you know, almost perfect score on the ACT. And she still says she's not good at math because, I mean, because even in the classroom still they're being permeated with this, that math is for boys. The STEM oh. is for boys a little bit, you know? Yeah, oh yeah. I, well, I, our daughter who's getting her doctorate in applied mathematics right now, um, she's definitely seen it. And oftentimes she is the only person that's in, in the room. And then when she shows up to teach online, be it calculus or whatever she's teaching, um, they're like, where, you know, where's the professor, you know? So it's very interesting. Exactly, exactly. But I think that's changing. I do think it's changing. Um, and you know, I, I, I personally, I don't want to be like lorded over the men. I just want us to be equal. Let's just be yeah, balanced. Absolutely. You know, I don't have to be better than men. Just let us be considered, yeah. equal, you know, and yeah. I think that's what we're heading towards. I, I think we're seeing that, but I think related to your statistic, I think that's true that there will be more women controlling, um, funds because, you know, women's life expectancy is a little bit longer. So they're often more widows and, mm-hmm. and divorcees, but also there's so many single mom parent families that are controlling wealth as well. So I, I see that a lot on tax returns as well. Um, you know, one thing that it's an interesting thing that we see on taxes and you, I mean, you see people's stuff because of mortgages. So you really, I mean, you see behind I, their little curtain yeah. of what's going on with their finances. And I, I think you were talking about the over consumerism or things like that. We see that a lot on tax returns. When somebody has a big W-2 and their income is high, but there's no interest, there's no dividends, there's no K-1s, there's no investments, you know, how could that be? You know, I mean, you obviously are, I mean, keeping up with the Joneses and spending more than you're making. Um, 
it, and that's a real problem. I mean, because the reality is if you're not doing the investments that you need to do and you're used to making a $250,000 W-2 and you're only going to get social security, you will not be living the same lifestyle when you retire. No, definitely <laughs> not. Yeah, that is, that is for sure. As far as that. And, you know, when you're talking about that other bucket, as far as that return on your investment, when it comes to health, the health piece of it, like, you know, it is shocking that as we're, we're dealing um, with between both Scott's, my husband's family and my family, we've got um, three people that are in their nineties and one that's going to be 90. Okay, so think about that. That's four people that have outlived the average life expectancy. But you know, we're we're dealing with some really major cost of care as far as exactly. Um, medical. That's so true, and that's one reason why I kind of grab the bull by the horns on the health. One, I just feel so much better. But I do believe that health is a pay now or pay later situation. I mean, if you take care of yourself in your younger ages, you're going to have less healthcare costs in the future. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, yeah. You know, so you can mitigate that. Now, obviously, assisted living or, you know, how are you going to live? Those, you know, those oh, memory care. Memory care is like shocking. Exactly. The, 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 the cost for memory care is absolutely shocking. Oh, yeah. I, I was the primary caregiver for both of my grandparents. And they grew up in the depression. You know, they didn't have a ton of money. I mean, but they had, you know, worked their butts off blue collar kind of people didn't go to college. You know, I'm the first person that ever went to college. My dad almost finished college, but um, they had amassed, you know, a, a good little nest egg, maybe three or I think it was around $450,000, but I blew through for them in like the last five years of their life. Over half of that money was spent on, on assisted living. Yeah. Memory care. I I mean, they would, I, I often say, and this is terrible, they would be rolling over in their grave if they knew that all the money that they had spent, that spent you know, scraped, had worked, saved and, and worked saved. for, mm -hmm. was blown through in, in like three or four years of, of assisted living. People don't realize how expensive that is. Yes. And if you don't have that savings and you have to be in a nursing home, which there are people like, oh, I won't worry about it. I'll just be on Medicaid and, and go into a nursing home. Those are not, that's not the same care. It is not the same level of care. It is not the same care. shocking how expensive that is. Yeah, yeah, that is that is absolutely for sure. So, um, so you know, this is where we get to say some fun things. I love to just, you know, we've got the new year just around. And so what's your biggest, like, I love the question of what's your biggest aha for 2020? Well, what's you your know, biggest insight? The biggest insight to me was, I felt like a lot of people really showed their true colors, you know, during this. I mean, uh, you know, when what do things, you mean by when, that? Oh. When when things are kind of going along nice and easy, everybody's great. But the stress factor of of this year, you really saw. I mean, people. I, I just figured. I found that there are some people I want to keep working with, and people that I don't want to work with, but just because. They just didn't do well under stress and, and they want to not take responsibility for their own. I mean, some of this we can't control, but some of the real problem with most people is they weren't prepared, period. And then this this thing like this came along and knocked the feet out from under them. But they really were built on quicksand to begin with. Right. Uh, very, yeah. you know, I mean, OK, and yeah. it was, this is just the current, you know, tidal wave that came through. And, it, you know, there's just too many people that you can work with that are fun to work with that appreciate what you do and that, you know, 
understand, I mean, so much came up that was impacting our business. I mean, everybody's business, but you know, the, the stimulus payments and the PPPs and the, all the SBA loans. I mean, some clients were super, super awesome about it. And other ones were just absolutely crazy. <laughs> so I figured I decided that I'm going to start working with the people I want to work with. Not everybody. Yeah. Our, in our office is not all money is good money. <laughs> oh, that, see, I like that. Not all money is good money. And that is a great thing. So, um, you know, one of the biggest, aha moments for me as far as for this year is just to um to recognize the um and i want to say the word miracle because it really is the miracle of technology for oh, me yeah. to be able to continue to originate well now here we are on you know we're recording the radio show right and um as far as with the podcast but technology wise i mean it really wasn't all that long ago that this might not even have been possible Right. Okay. The right. sound quality wasn't there. It was, you know, all of these different things. And um, I and I think as far as that in, that to embrace technology as a tool, yes, not, to, not to surplant anything, but to embrace technology as a tool, because guess what? Computers are not a passing bad. Just saying, you know. Right. I, I hope that, that we'll get out of this. I mean, because I can't wait for things to get back live. I can't wait to travel again. I mean, I mean, I'm dying to travel. I haven't traveled since the very end of you and me both. Um, and, but I do think we're going to, I hope we can take the good part out of this and, and put it in and layer it on. I don't think we're going to go back to a hundred percent of, of all live events and stuff no, like that. I don't, I don't see it. Phase. I don't see I it because we're fundamentally changing how we do business. I think this is where we would have been maybe in 10 years. This just forced us to pull forward. I think. I, I you know what? And I, th I, I totally agree with you. I think it, it, you know, when, when we, so as a company, Summit's a very large company and we are, you know, we're national. Um, and so with all of the states that we are in and so many of them, and especially our corporate headquarters got shut down and to have to, within four days, we literally moved 80% of our workforce home and our IT department, uh, we do kind of a cool thing as far as the company, we do a, a whale of the month, which is- <laughs> And it's really a fun thing. It's a job well done. So that's where <laughs> the whale that. thing is. So just making it fun. But the fact that um, that we were able to do that and, and, and within the mortgage world, this is the absolute business. We just hit another record low as far as the lowest interest rates. I mean, I never in my career did I think I'd be talking to people about two and a quarter percent you know, these really low fixed rate loans, you know, these, you know, depending upon what everybody qualifies for. Uh, I mean, it's just crazy as far as, and you can go on to the Freddie Mac uh, survey and see what the mortgage money is. It's crazy. Just really, I know. It's I, mean, crazy. I remember when I bought my first condo, I was, it was before I got married, I was only in my early twenties and I um, paid like 8.75%. And that was a good rate back then. It was a, it was a, it was a great rate right then. So, <laughs> well, uh, Deborah, I am so so happy that you were able to join us and it got, it got you before tax season. This is great. Um, I do want to just let people know um, that they can definitely, uh, we'll have your information, you know, as far as there, and they can reach out to you. And then um, just for clarity, just because I think people need to know this. Do you only work with people in Georgia? No, I do not. It, it's not something like, you know, like if you do insurance stuff, you have to be licensed in every state. I'm a CPA all around the country. If I live somewhere, I have to get licensed there. 
but um, we can help anyone. And we have been helping people all around the country for a long time. Now it's it, mostly those were people that we did here and they moved away, but now the borders are erased. I mean, it, 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 there's no reason. I mean, I like having a personal relationship, but I mean, I feel like we're talking to each other right now on this. Yeah, ab ab absolutely. Absolutely. So again, I just want to thank you again. We'll make sure your information is up there and they can certainly connect with you. Um, I love um, that you are a podcast host too on the eWomen Network uh, as far as a podcast host. I and am. so super excited about this. So without any further ado, I wish all of my listeners a very, very happy and safe new year. Um, we are excited to be able to be of help. And again, you've been listening to Healthy, Wealthy and Wise broadcasting, not live. I mean, we're, we're live, but we are broadcasting remotely on Tucson Business Radio X. Thank you and have a very safe New Year's.